Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the AIA podcast with your host, Dylan. I'm joined by the president of UCLA's Association of Indonesian Americans, Jason Moyadi. And today we'll be discussing what it means to be Indonesian American. All right, and we'll go over a little bit of the history that many Indonesian Americans have and talk more about our own experiences growing up as Indonesian American. But before we get to that, we will introduce ourselves, um, what this podcast is for, and other bits and pieces. So I'll go first. I'm Dylan. I'm a second year economics major at UCLA, and I'm also minoring in film. I'm currently the publicity director at UCLA's Association of Indonesian Americans. It's and... pretty good at that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank I'll you. Introduce, I'll introduce myself. Hi, everybody. My name is Jason. I am a fourth-year neuroscience major uh, and a history minor. I am uh, the, I guess, commander-in-chief of UCLA's AIA. Um, and I don't know. That, that's all I have to me. Okay, yeah. We can, we'll talk more about who we are and such as we go on in this podcast. Next, we'll go over the purpose of this podcast. So we felt that there is a need for discussion from the perspective of Indonesian Americans because we're relatively new in town in terms of like the big mixing bowl of America, basically meaning uh, we've on the whole, Indonesian American is a relatively recent term because not many Indonesians were in the United States pre-1965. And uh, we want to educate anyone who's interested in learning about what it's like being Indonesian American and inspire fellow Indonesian Americans to be proud of who they are because it's an identity that we don't really talk about in school or it's not even represented too much in the media. And in addition to that, I think a lot of us um, shed our identity in favor of being more assimilated in, um, in America. And I think that knowing your culture and knowing your history is a pretty important part of knowing who you are and having that self-actualization aspect of yourself. So I hope this podcast is helpful to many. And just other bits and pieces, we're planning to make our podcast available on all platforms that podcasts are available on if I'm able to figure out how to do that. <laughs> so please send us any feedback that you may have um, because we love to hear from any of you who are listening. All right, well, now that we have all that out of the way, I'll, we'll get right into it. So in order to understand what it means to be Indonesian American, a big portion of that comes from knowing why our parents came here. So both of us will go over our own experiences of our parents uh, bringing us from Indonesia. But first, we'll have some context. So Jason, you can jump in if I'm missing anything because you're a history minor. And all I know is um, everything I know about Indonesia is stuff that I've read and also a class I took called Political Violence where we learned about 1965. That was the first time I learned about 1965 actually. And See, Jeffrey Robinson? Yeah. Jeffrey Robinson's amazing, isn't he? Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. I remember the first time that um, we had a lecture about Indonesia and 1965. Um, I came up to him and I was like, yo, I've never heard about this before and I'm Indonesian. And he's like, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I thought yeah. that was just pretty funny. Yeah, cause... yeah Ro Robinson's incredible. Um, like, I'm really glad that you got to meet him. And to all the listeners who are listening to this uh uh, Jeffrey Robinson's like one of the utmost experts on like Indonesian matters. His book, The Killing Season, published in 2018, I believe, talks about what happened in 1965 and 66, which I know Dylan will go over. But yeah. Yeah. What, what else did you think about that class and everything? Oh, well, um, that class like had, so it was called Political Violence and it was a cluster at UCLA. And we mainly talked about the histories of three different uh mass uh killings and genocides so we talked about like the legality behind genocide and also um the how people use those terms like either mass killing or genocide how it's a very political type of thing to say 
something was a genocide rather than a mass killing. So we talked about Rwanda, we talked about uh, the Holocaust, and we also talked about Indonesia, which I didn't expect at all. Like I didn't see that in the syllabus, or at least I didn't. I didn't check the like the big course thing that they have, like the course description. I just I just jumped right into it because I I'm pretty into politics and. The idea of like learning about political violence was really appealing to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I learned quite a bit. I had to read The Killing Season, and it was free because he just put it on CCLE. And so CCLE is like our our school website or where we uh, go for our um, course materials and everything. And yeah, I, I got to read The Killing Season, and I learned quite a bit um i can't condense everything in this quick podcast though so but yeah there's probably a lot of things that you learned uh even then about indonesia so um i guess for all the listeners what give us some quick content on like you know our roots and like what indonesia is and everything all right yeah for sure to anyone who may not know about indonesia or uh, what indonesia is and everything um, Indonesia is this large group of islands in Southeast Asia. It's uh, one of the most populated regions in the world. Uh, I think that there's around 200 million people in Indonesia. And um, Southeast Asia as a region is very diverse. Like that is where Indonesia is. Southeast Asia consists of like Vietnam, um, Cambodia, Laos, uh, the Philippines, and also Indonesia, etc. So there's just a bunch of different countries, but um, they all kind of share, in terms of like the bigger picture, um, Southeast Asians kind of share like a distinct identity of being recent immigrants and also um, leaving their country to find uh, better civil rights or to um, escape some sort of oppressive regime. So uh, this idea of a Southeast Asian identity is pretty political because it separates us from the identity of East Asian and South Asian. And I think a lot of us have heard in the news and everything about um, disaggregating data and trying to separate like the distinct groups of, um, of Asians because before it was just yellow. Like that was, that was the term used for um, identifying anyone from Asia, it was just yellow. And then um, what became prominently thought of um, when people referred to Asians is Chinese. But then as more and more immigrants from Asia have been coming to the United States, um, we've been having to dis- like distinguish between each group because each group kind of came in for different reasons. So now it's... Uh, d- now it's distinguished through East Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian, and then there's, um, and then there's groups within those groups. So it's very important, and we're starting to learn how important it is to understand where people come from, their background, because just because you're Asian doesn't mean you have to have these certain traits, and it's uh, a stereotype, I guess, that, um. Asians are this, or Asians are better at this, or Asians are better at that. So just going on, Southeast Asians are generally newer immigrants to the United States, with most coming after the Hart-Seller Immigration Act of 1965. Um, But the story of why Indonesians came to the United States was mainly marred by fear of persecution, and it's important to note what demographic of Indonesians most of us fall under. So... Um, A lot of Indonesians that came to America are Indonesian Chinese, and a lot of that came from the persecution of um, Chinese in Indonesia during the Suharto um, presidency. And yeah, that's just a bit of context. Jason, would you like to add anything that I may have missed? No, I think uh, I think you summed up pretty uh, pretty well. I think like if anybody who is interested in learning about Indonesian history, um, they would basically see um, kind of like two big dates, 1965 and then 1998, and that's kind of like the Suharto regime. Um, because I think afterwards you started to see like an opening up of like democracy and everything, and 
you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to like read about Indonesian history because so much that we know about is probably through like oral history, um, just because that I get like that there's this feeling that not a lot of people want to know about Indonesian history. Um, and then for us, it's like, you know, our parents may have never told us about Indonesian history just because of the uh, intergenerational trauma that may or may not exist there. Um, so I think that you summed it up pretty perfectly and it, um, you know, it encapsulates like the basic kind of things that are happening. I'm sure that as we delve further into research about Indonesia, we're, we're definitely going to hear more, hear more from the different communities. Um, and I think it's important to note that we represent just like the Chinese Indonesian aspect. Um, and there's like so many other more communities in Indonesia that have different stories. So yeah, yeah Indonesia is super, super like heterogeneous. It's just so many there's different lot, communities. Yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Too many, yeah. Not yeah. too many, but it's just like so much, which is which is fantastic. But yeah, yeah, hard to hard to localize Indonesia in, in, in that sense, I guess. So I think that's one of the things that we also have to keep in mind. Yeah, I think it's really hard to just like put us all in a group because there are just so many uh, types of Indonesians, I guess. Like um, many people, there are a lot of people with different backgrounds within Indonesia, which I think is really cool um, because we are so diverse. Um, but as you can see, like through history, like diversity, uh, in, in Indonesia has kind of caused some problems and tensions, but, uh, yeah, we can get to that eventually in this podcast. All right. So next off, um, we're going to ask ourselves the question, how did we get here? You know, like the Minecraft achievement, how did we get here? Our... (laughs) Okay, so our experience of um, our parents immigrating to the U.S. are uh, different experiences, and I think it's important that we talk about our own experiences. And just as a disclaimer, these are our own experiences, and you may relate you may relate to them, or you may know people who relate to those experiences. But these are our own individual experiences, so don't think of it as like the whole encompassing. Um, demographic shift from uh, Indonesia to the U.S. So I'll have Jason go first. Yeah, so I basically came to the United States in 2001. Uh, I think I was granted asylum in 2003. Um, so we came as kind of like refugees because of what, uh, what's been going on socio-politically in um, 1998 with like the May riots and everything. Um, and I guess like the 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 thing about the May riots was like it was like the encapsulation of like of, it was just like um kind of the vitriolic sentiment that was burned up by like um, college students uh, from like people just wanting change because the financial crisis happened at that time 1997 um so the regime was definitely going down and it was going to end up in like a fire fiery explosion um but a lot of Chinese Indonesians or at least from like what I I heard. It, they got targeted um, really heavily. My mom was in Japan during that time. My dad was also in Japan during that time. And they basically saw the news and what was going abroad and everything. Um, I know that my mom's family was like hiding out for days, no electricity, no noise. And so, you know, hearing about that kind of experience, um, my mom was like, I, I, I don't think I can ever go back there again and live there. So they applied to... Um, get a green card in like the United States or like try to just go to the United States because, you know, I think we have this perception that the United States is the uh, land to go to, the, the country to go to, it's like where all this, the American dream is. And so, you know, um, my parents apply, applied to go there. And unfortunately we were one of the uh, lucky, lucky ones who got the chance to stay here. And so, yeah, it was out of fear, but also out of an opportunity to live that we were very fortunate to to come here. Yeah, um, but for me personally, I was born in Jakarta in 1998. And so I lived in Indonesia for two years. Um, yeah, my dad was the one who scoped out what it was like in the U.S. before telling my mom, like, you know, I think I found a home. Uh, it's going to be near L.A. So I think I think you should you should come abroad and um, start a new life here. So. Yeah, that's just a little bit of like my story and everything. Um, I so what, what about your what about your story? All right, well, so 
my story is kind of similar in that instead of um you came here in 2001 i was born in 2001 but oh my god so so old (laughs) oh man all right so my uh, mom brought me here while she was pregnant uh in 2001 i believe or i think really late 2000 around that time my i think the story of my mom coming here is a bit more hazy because i I couldn't really get the like razor sharp details that you have about like the specific year that your parents got a green card and got asylum and everything um but uh my my mom did the similar things like coming here on a visa and then um getting asylum or being granted asylum and then eventually getting her green card and applying for citizenship eventually so uh so she came here while she was pregnant and she wasn't actually like super pregnant like she wasn't at month nine or anything but she she just told me that she was pregnant so i thought like she was barely fitting in any of the seats or anything but no she was she was still like a regular old self and then and then she came here to um to kind of, yeah to do this same thing of like escaping uh what was going on um because actually at the time of 1998 she uh she wasn't very close to uh Jakarta where most of the stuff was happening where most of the riots were happening actually when when she told me that she moved here because of uh riots and everything and because of racial tensions tensions i thought it was because of the 1998 riots but um but actually it's it was sort of a gradual thing i don't know if your parents have talked about that but like there have been riots um successively throughout the suharto regime and uh it may have affected your parents in different ways but for my mom it was uh she remember when she was young there was there were um, riots that went after um, her family and uh, basically wanted to and, and basically like there were a bunch of tensions between um, indigenous Indonesians and and Chinese Indonesians and she has those memories she has those traumas and it's it sort of became a normal thing one thing that my mom told me was that uh you don't really understand like what is normal until you have until you leave that situation so for her like those um those riots that were against the chinese were a normal occurrence like the tensions with um native indonesians and chinese was a normal type of thing so um it wasn't until she left into the united states and saw that civil rights are protected or at least more so than in Indonesia, that she wanted to come to the United States and raise me up here. And yeah, so she she wanted that opportunity and also the economic opportunity of going to the United States and um, being in a country that has consistently had the highest GDP. We don't know about that going into the future, but we shall see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that yeah. is, yeah, that's a little bit of why my mom came here and I, I was born after this. I was born after, um, after all that like stress of having to leave, um, her family behind and going to the United States was finished. So, so I was just chilling, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we moved to San Francisco at first actually. And yeah, we, um you just went from there no, that's 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 actually interesting. i did not know that you'd like san francisco was kind of like the first the first stop that's that's just fascinating yeah I, I definitely agree with you um oh side note i think gdp for uh us if i look at the us debt clock um i think it's 26 it's like the national debt with the gdp of 19 uh and it's all in trillions so yeah that's we'll see we'll see um anyway um no, getting uh, back to your point, uh, I think it's, you're definitely right that it's, I think discrimination in Indonesia towards um, different ethnic groups, not just like the Chinese Indonesians, but uh, talking on part of like the Chinese Indonesian has always been there, um, just throughout like the Suharto regime, I feel. Um, I think like uh, maybe it's propagated with such a 
the propaganda films that people were that people had to watch from ages what it's like nine to seventeen or seven to some, something like that. When they were in school, they have to watch this movie every year about like the revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they basically get taunted with like um, these extreme like uh, racial slurs and everything. So I guess like it's it, it, it was normalized um, on a unfortunately it was normalized uh, this like discrimination towards um, Chinese Indonesians. But um, in America, I don't think you see kind of like that racial tension um that 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 is prevalent in like indonesia and even now um i think perhaps uh tensions are getting like better or it's more like way hidden than it is but yeah i definitely remember my mom um telling me stories about like what's happened and just like the discrimination she would face on the daily so yeah no 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 definitely yeah and um just to add to that i think that they're is also a lot of fear of talking about the past because of um, how they were raised in that situation where you didn't really want to talk about the past or you would, something would happen to you or something would happen to your family. So I think that fear has also like trickled down um, to, to my mom and also a bit to me too because like most of my family still lives in Indonesia. I, I don't want to say anything bad about what happened in the past, right? So I think that um, there was definitely that culture of fear that was created and uh, brought a lot of Indonesians who were persecuted or felt that they were persecuted and brought them to the United States. Sure, for sure. Yeah. Speak about the United States. Okay, on to about our next segment. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, oh, that was a... That was a spicy transition. Right. So, so our next um, section of this podcast will be an all-encompassing question of what was it like growing up as Indonesian-American. But we'll just break it down a little bit. So, yeah. So our first question, because it's a really simple question, and I think I've got it many times. Um, what is your favorite Indonesian food? And I'll go first. So... I'd say I am mentega because uh, the first time that I got it, it was it was pretty good. It was like crunchy chicken, so it was like Popeyes, all right. But they had honey on it. They had all this different sauce on it, and then I had some rice with it, you know, like nasi puti, you know. And then I had that, and just those two things together were really good. And especially the one from Wang Java in Alhambra, because that's where I got it. Uh, there's other versions of Ayam Mantega. We've made it at home during the quarantine. Like, um, And when we first made it, I thought, why isn't it crunchy? Why isn't it breaded and stuff? But <laughs> but there are different versions. Like You can just put chicken breasts and then uh, and cut it up and then put a bunch of sauce on it. But I, I personally like it when it's crispier. Um, also, another uh, thing that I like is durian, and I actually like when I was when I was young. All right, when I was young, I didn't like durian. Like when I was like four or something, I I specifically remember the first time I smelled it and I thought something died, and <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, what the yeah, durian, durian. I I am yeah. I am still not a fan of durian. I don't really? know. Uh, <laughs> my mom, my mom is kind of a fan, but because we had durian in like uh, Indonesian class. Um, oh, and, oh yeah. Uh, literally, yeah. It smelled, it smelled like durian for like the entire hour, and I was, I was oh, dying. Yeah. Wait. Let me. Okay. Okay. So actually, like in high school, in my junior year of high school, I brought like durian crackers to school, right? And then we were in class. And then, like, someone smelled it or something, and, like, and my teacher smelled it, and they thought it was a gas leak. Like, they thought that, that there was gas leaking from somewhere, and it was causing her to pass out or something. So they brought in the whole, the whole like, custodian team to, like, figure out what was going on, and we were, like, evacuated from my classroom. <laughs> and then no. I, I really think it was it was the durian crackers because like there was there was nothing a- after after we left and like i i mean after we evacuated it and like i brought my crackers outside um they 
they were like, oh, there's nothing, doesn't seem to be anything. <laughs> and then everyone, oh my everyone was, just, was just looking at me because in this class, my teacher was pretty cool. Like she let us eat because I think it was like right before lunch or either it was right before lunch or it was in the morning where I wouldn't eat because uh, breakfast was hard to do when uh, when you're rushing to high school and stuff. But um, but yeah, it that, that was a that was a pretty weird experience because I think like most most of my friends who saw it like saw me having the durian crackers out like they're I mean they're, they're also Asian they they know what durian is right but like they um they were thinking dang did, did our teacher really just like evacuate the class because of some durian crackers <laughs> Uh, I should I should have done that during during high school, but oh uh, man, no, I didn't. I didn't lost. mean to do that, but, but <laughs> lost. Yeah, um, but yeah, also like people from Indonesia, they, uh, who were born in Indonesia and like grew up there, and um, whenever I met them, like whether it be my cousin or like my, uh, my relatives and such, um, when I, when they ask me like, do you do you like durian? And then I say, yes, I do. Like. I, I can take it now because like before uh, I kind of think about it like spicy food because before I wasn't really good at eating spicy food like I would just drink a bunch of milk after eating like one hot Cheeto right I would drink a cup of milk or something but but now but now I can get some sambal you know like I can just douse everything with sriracha all right everything but everything in like indonesian like the indonesian food is like generally spicy right yeah. so you kind of have to get used to yeah exactly food. exactly so i think it was kind of the same for me for for durian so like i started with the uh, with the durian smoothie and then the durian um ice cream and then the crackers and eventually i got to the fruit so so that was a gradual process as well <laughs> but but yeah when um people from indonesia asked me if they like durian and i said yeah they're they're really um they like they like say oh gitu <laughs> like they're like really you do because because i guess it's um they think that americans or like their perspective of americans or indonesian americans is that they didn't grow up where i grew up you know they didn't grow up in the uh it's like it's like how your parents say oh, back in my day or my mom never said that but like um you know like that the idea of people saying back in my day this was that so i guess um i guess a lot of a lot of people think oh indonesian americans aren't gonna aren't gonna eat indonesian food because there's they're just gonna eat burgers you know they're gonna eat some fries and stuff at least that's what people have told me they thought oh i thought you just ate like this other stuff not actual indonesian food so so yeah there there is that sort of divide in terms of like food because indonesian food in indonesia is a lot better than indonesian food here but actually there's a lot of good restaurants here actually that i would highly recommend uh Hopefully they have takeout during this time, but but Wong yeah. Java has takeout. Wong Java. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember hearing about that, but yeah, it's um it's slowly growing though. I only know a few restaurants, and it's I found it really crazy that like when we talked about the different Indonesian restaurants that I knew all those restaurants because I grew up in Monterey Park, and most of those restaurants are in the San Gabriel Valley. <laughs> so yeah. yeah san gabriel valley is so good like in san Fernando valley we have literally no indonesian restaurants at all like the closest one we have is simpang asia which mm -hmm. is like near near ucla yeah. or like uh yeah. that, like basically in, in that general area which is it's, it's good uh i would say like it kind of lost its like traditional indonesian uh food but i mean i, I still go there and everything but the, i think the best indonesian restaurant um or definitely into 66 um i i enjoy borneo i enjoy oh, java yeah. yeah and i yeah, yeah it's it, it's super it's super interesting just to see like maybe but it makes sense 66 i feel like is a huge asian enclave and mm -hmm. so makes sense why there's like indonesian restaurants there yeah dude 
well borneo was like where i went to after school basically because um once i okay yeah once i once i got a car or actually no not once like once i got a bike um so it was actually in alhambra and i lived at monterey park and i i would bike like a mile or like a mile and a half to go to the library in alhambra because the Alhambra library is pretty nice and i would do like my homework and stuff and then some days if i wanted to treat myself i would go to borneo and just like get some uh i forgot what i would get but it's this it's this really specific food um it has nasi in it but i i don't i don't remember exactly what it was but yeah that was that was my my after school hangout spot uh on some special days and stuff but yeah what's your favorite indonesian food jason um honestly i'm so i'm so basic uh i think it has to be rendang or like ayam penyet uh ayam penyet dari um sorry uh, ayam penyet from uh i think wang java is super good i mean i do like the spice the spice of like wang java i think like the the cook there is like super super awesome um so like oh, yeah because yeah, she was she used, to, she used to be a helper she used to be a Mamantu one, so it's like you know yeah, that's like me about that. yeah yeah her her husband's a mechanic and everything helps her out from time to time so yeah she's she's doing she's doing the work um so i always i always enjoy her like halal uh rendang um and it's just a super super comfort food like that beef stew um and i like it even better when it's spicy and everything but i don't know i used to grow up not liking or like wanting American food. And maybe that's just a sign of like trying to fit in, but like very much so like when I went to high school and everything, you always have that appreciation for like, um, I guess like the food of like um, your native homeland for sure. Like for me, I always, enjoy, I forgot what, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not tofu. Is it tofu where it's like, you have like the tofu and then like chicken ground like ground chicken with like onions and everything uh francine and i talked about this francine our uh, external vice president talked about this she said it was easy to make and everything um yeah that's always been my like my favorite as well so it's just like you know um that chinese indonesian fusion food but also just like the i guess the traditional one that everybody talks about specifically rendang um and i think like i don't know i don't know about you but when I bring my non-Indonesian friends to eat at Indonesian restaurants, they're always like, wow, this is much spicier than I thought. And I'm like, oh, oh, really? I'm like, I, I am not aware. So, you know, I think one of the things I'm really proud of is, you know, the spice tolerance that um, I just grew up with and everything. So, yeah, long story short, um, rindang is always going to be my favorite Indonesian food, uh, comfort level wise. but. You're right. It's so much better in Indonesia um, than here. But I think like any Indonesian restaurant here is like a good introduction to like yeah. what it can be. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, it's really hard to get the authenticity down. But yeah, I agree. Like people would not know about Indonesian food if these restaurants didn't exist. So it's really great that these restaurants exist and everything. Um, but yeah, um, also on that part about like bring your non-Indonesian friends to um, Indonesian restaurants and like having them try Indonesian food. Uh, most of my most of my friends, at least in high school, were um, were Asian. So when I would bring them there, they'd be like, ah, "This is just another walk in the park or something," you know. Yeah. So so it wouldn't it wouldn't be too crazy for them but the spice is definitely different than most foods yeah yeah it's uh, something about like indonesian food it's like there's just a lot of like you know there's like the nuttiness because we love to use peanuts and oh, everything yeah. oh my gosh and there's just a lot of like different spices i mean even way back when when um people always use indonesia as like a spice market which you know yikes but at the same time there are so it many brought spices, all the spices available there. yeah exactly yeah yeah all right well we'll go into our next question which sort of ties into the cultural aspect of food and everything 
Um, but how is your Indonesian? This is a question I, I get a lot from my relatives. <laughs> but, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, saya bisa uh, bahasa Indonesia, tapi saya nggak bisa ngomong uh, lancar. Uh, so it's like you know, I can I can understand most of it, or I can understand Indonesian, but I can't like really like speak it. So that's like one of the things that uh, I'm like working on, and so that's why I'm like taking classes um, in at UCLA for like um, to improve my Indonesian and everything. And just because it's like you have the opportunity to, so why why not? Yeah. What about you? Well, I, uh, it's okay. So it's pretty pretty okay um but bisa sedikit you know so i can yeah sedikit aja yeah <laughs> I, I, I can speak a little bit and i could understand quite a bit like there's a few key words and i think this is uh, true with a lot of languages that i've been trying to learn not a lot of language <laughs> okay the only other language that the only two other languages that i've been trying to learn besides english and indonesian is uh mandarin and spanish but um like in terms of like trying to understand you you get like those key words in a sentence and you try and understand what they're saying and i think my understanding has been getting better um after i visited indonesia for the first time because after i visited indonesia i i really uh like it was basically like a different world for me right and they communicated in a different language that i didn't understand because my mom never um, wanted me to uh, learn Indonesian as my first language because she would think that um, that English is a better language to know as your first language in America because people won't make fun of your accent. People won't um, not give you a job because you seem like a foreigner or something. So that was like her reasoning on that. But I've been trying to learn more Indonesian because most of my relatives are still in Indonesia and that's how they communicate. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't taken any Indo, Indo do uh, classes yet. Yeah. Do I, it, do it, do it. Indo one. <laughs> Indo one. All right. Fall, fall quarter. Indo one, dude. Yeah. Online. All right, let's go. Yeah. But, um, like I asked my mom about it. Like the first time that I asked her about if I should take an Indonesian class, she was like, why? Because there's, there's no... Uh, it seems like there's no reason to in America, but I think if you want to like understand your history and if you are Indonesian and you want to understand your history, learning about the Indonesian language is really crucial because there's a lot of things you just can't translate. And I think this is true for all languages. Like there's a lot of things that you can't translate. So yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So think- it's, it's, it's like slowly improving, but I think Jason, you probably improved quite a bit from like the beginning of the year, right? Because you took yeah. all the classes. Yeah. Yeah, I think like there's just so much more understanding uh, because um, what we learn this formal Indonesian like sometimes even my mom is like, oh yeah, this is super hard. I kind of don't know, um, <laughs> and so I ask her like, why 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 is it why do we have to use transitive con in this instance? Why 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 do we have to use con? And she's like, honestly. I have no idea. We just do, which is not which is not the great answer, right? But um, it's it's like, I, I even I even in Indonesia, I think that there's not so much an emphasis on like formal education, or even if it is, it's like it tends to be forgotten. So, um, I think like, um, it's really important crucial uh, to like learn this. It's like crucial if you ever want to like uh, delve into like Indonesian culture, or even if you want to go into business, because you know Indonesian g- GDP is. I assume it's going to like uh, be like one of the top, like everyone's trying to make Indonesia like one of like the biggest like trading sectors in like um, Southeast Asia, in all of Asia. So, um, you know, I think like in the future when we have more uh, of an economic relationship with Indonesia, US and Indonesia, I think it's like, you know, they need more people to be able to speak Indonesian um, as well as English. So. I mean that's an, that's another thing. Um, people say like Indonesians like Indonesians like a really easy language to learn, which in some cases yes, until you get to like you know maybe a more proficient level. You're like um, the casual but, Indonesian, I think. Yeah, the... Casual, yeah, but even casual Indonesian has like rules and everything, so it's like it's, there's like you can get away with stuff in Indonesian 
um, there's like no tenses or like past present. Oh, there is future, but it's like you know, you don't have like run and like ran and all and running like all of that stuff. It's like one one word. It's just like everything is like in context and all of that stuff, which is quite quite fascinating. But yeah, no, I I I definitely think that it's important to like learn the Indonesian language if um, you are interested in um, I guess just more knowledge about one of the countries that's going to um, pop off in the future. That, that's just my that's just my theory. Um, that's what I've been researching on. Uh, that was from like my Japanese class actually. Uh, we were talking about like the Japanese and Indonesian like economic relations and they have like this plan to like help build each other um, GDP wise. So it's actually quite fascinating. All right, well, sure. let's get into our next question. So um, what got you interested in learning about your Indonesian American identity? I guess for me, I've always had some interest into um, Indonesian, my Indonesian identity, because, you know, I think um, maybe in my case, in a fortunate, in a fortunate case, you know, my mom was never one to shy away. Uh, so is my dad. My dad loves history. My mom doesn't, but she's like definitely like, yeah, I'm I'm really Indonesian, and I'm not I'm not gonna hide that from from anybody. And so I grew up with like the acknowledgement of like, yes, you are Indonesian. Uh, you should be proud of being Indonesian. Um, uh, they 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 made efforts to like speak to me in Indonesian when I was at home. Um, obviously, I started speaking English more because I just had to get better in English because my grades were like not so good in like fourth grade, and then they hired. They like got a tutor for me. Um, like we're pretty cheap too. Like we basically paid the tutor like probably five dollars down. <laughs> oh. I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know. How. Oh, man, maybe it was a high school student or something. <laughs> no, she was like a she was like a teacher from like a. Oh. I'm not sure. I think yeah. My mom my mom knows her ways. Yeah, nice. my mom's like powerful. I guess. Oh. But yeah, um, yeah. So thanks thanks to Miss Miss Coleman. I don't know. I forgot her name. Yeah, I got to like learn English more. Anyway, um, so I've always had this uh, in- interest because I, I knew I was different from everybody. Uh, I grew up in, in schools that were either predominantly Hispanic or predominantly like Caucasian. So I was always like the Asian kid. But I was like, I'm not just Asian guys. Come on. I'm like Indonesian. Indonesian. <laughs> I'm Indonesian. Um, yeah. So I definitely was one to never like really shy away from like the identity of being Indonesian. But then I guess in like college, it started to become less of like something that, um, you know, of, of a trope um, because I thought I stopped from being like the Asian kid into being one of the many Asian kids in like UCLA. And um, I think that allowed me to like grow into something that like really made me want to understand my culture more. So when I took history 176B in spring of 2019 yeah something like that we learned a lot about different uh about like the different countries and everything and i got introduced to like the different aspects of um indonesia from like the culture festival um and to like what happened in the bandung conference to what happened in like um 1965 like that was like my first introduction to it um and i was just like blown away saying like yo this is super super fascinating so ever since then i was really really invested and i wanted to learn more about you know my indonesian identity and i think like what really helped me to catapult that also was just my experience in like asian american organizations like even in high school i was a part of like a taiko drumming group and if you all don't know taiko is essentially like this japanese drumming um art form and so I was really, I started to get more in tune about like Asian American like struggles and organizations and everything. That's why I joined the Nikkei Student Union or the Japanese American Cultural Group first in UCLA, um, where I became like the cultural awareness and community service chair, co-chair. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I just, I definitely learned more about the struggles of Asian Americans and more specifically Japanese Americans. And all throughout this time, I was like, you know, what about the struggles of Indonesian American? And so I took 
and I took Indonesian um, one my junior year, my third year at UCLA. Um, this was still at the time when I was like co-chair and everything of NSU. Uh, I met some people, uh, you might know them. <laughs> uh, they're like my fellow co-founders of AIA. And we basically talked about like, you know, the different identities that we have and the need for that representation. And so I think that's what got me even more interested learning about my identity. So informing this club, informing like um, this space, I also got to learn more about like my Indonesian American identity. So I got to learn along with you guys as well. So um, yeah, long story short, because uh, I know I said a lot and it was probably non-linear and I know that I like talk a lot, so I'm just gonna try to sum it up right now. Always been interested in college, learned about Asian American things, got more specific because of a, his, a Southeast Asian history class, um, talked to a couple of Indonesian Americans, and now here we are. So yeah, that is my story about like what got me interested. What about you? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, that that sounds awesome, and I think that was uh, it's there's a lot of like parallels that I can see with um, how I got interested as well. Um, I think I, I kind of grew up in a different community in that like most people around me were Asian. So we we didn't really question our identity because like everyone around us was Asian. So um, we just assumed like we all grew up from similar households and everything. And, uh, and yeah, but I think I really started getting interested in what it means to be Indonesian and um, I got started getting interested in Indonesia as a whole when I first um, when I first visited Indonesia back in like seventh grade and that was the first time that uh, my mom went back and the first time that I ever visited and yeah like as I explained before it was a different world uh, and and I I never heard about this world in America. I never heard about um, this in like the history books and everything. Not not to say that I read many history books back then, but like I um, didn't, I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't have like that big of a grasp on Indonesian culture because there wasn't like an Indonesian culture club or anything. And the closest thing to that was um, at church because uh, there's. Indonesian Catholic community at church and also I see Adla. Yeah, so um but we weren't really involved in it until like my high school. Uh, my mom started getting more involved. Uh but I yeah, I started I started learning more about Indonesia after that first visit. Um just like asking my mom questions, asking like why did you move here? Um asking like these uh, just like these basic introductory questions to my, my grasp of everything that went on in Indonesia and um, and like also trying to answer for myself why I'm here and uh, also when I was in high school I I was involved in um, Asian American associations like the Chinese American Citizens Alliance uh, like I wasn't we didn't have Taiko or we didn't have like any sort of um, cultural class or like performances for uh for southeast asian americans it was mainly centered on um like we had we had a uh, we had mandarin so for our cultural um performances we would have like um a chinese performance and uh yeah that was that was about it so i i mainly like learned about or i knew about um china and like why did why did chinese people come to the united states why did we immigrate uh why did the chinese immigrate to to the u.s and everything and also a lot of uh, my friends were uh, J japanese as well so i uh i didn't have too many indonesian friends basically uh growing up although i had like a lot of Asian friends um but when I got to UCLA my first class was that political violence class and that was the first time that I learned about 1965 and it, it was just really intriguing because it's something that sounds so so big and so crazy that 
I've never heard about. And it was just really, it was really shocking to never learn about anything before 1998. Um, like I, uh, I mean, to be honest, like the the only history that I that I knew before before that was, um, just like history of presidents after nineteen ninety eight. Like I just assumed that the that the period between nineteen sixty five to nineteen ninety eight was just like sadness or something. I don't know. I just didn't. Uh, I just thought it was like one homogenous, uh, regime during that time. But a lot of things happened during that time, and also, uh. For that regime to form, there were a lot of reasons for it to form, and there were a lot of different things that had to occur in order for it uh, to take hold. So, I I was just really fascinated about that, and I started to um, learn more about the history behind it. And um, as far as like as far as like learning more about being what what it means to be Indonesian American, I think I've been. a lot of that has to do with like trying to learn your language and trying to figure out what is um, the Indonesian American community because demographically, I think a lot of us are are spread out um, not just in Los Angeles or in California as a whole, but a lot of us are are spread out. So it it can be hard to find that community, find like an Indonesian community that's been there for a while and learn from them too because i think it's really important to learn from from uh your elders right learn learn from the um indonesian americans who may have immigrated here earlier than your parents who have more experience and such so uh yeah that's that's how i got uh that's how i got more invested in learning about my indonesian american identity and just really understanding that it is uh it's an identity that not many people have because um there are relatively few indonesians uh compared to the large immigrant population in the united states but yeah um yeah yeah so we'll move on to the final question so what's your take on the question why it's important for us to continue to learn and understand our indonesian american identity so I think both of us touched upon this, but I personally think that it boils down to a pride for being Indonesian. I think many times in my life I've wanted to not be Indonesian or like to to be another um like another Asian race in the sense that I uh I didn't I didn't think that Indonesia was a rich culture like it wasn't like one of the cool cultures um that that everyone talked about like like japan for example um the the people who are japanese for me like they the people who i knew were japanese like they were pretty cool like they had all these uh different traditions and they had all these um like they had all these groups and such and also uh, people who were Chinese and people who were Vietnamese, like they had these organizations and were really, really had like that solid uh, community. And I never really saw that uh, for my uh, Indonesian American identity. I never really um, saw people like being super, I guess, super like happy that, oh, I have this culture that not many people have. But um, I... I would get ticked off like when I was younger I would get ticked off if someone like mistook me for being Japanese or Filipino or Cambodian. Yeah, like similar to you, I wanted to I wanted people to know that I am Indonesian and uh that's that's different from these other cultures and races. But but yeah, I've I've started to once you start to learn more about your history, I think um you understand why you should be proud of it or like why um for me i think it's i'm proud that my mom was able to overcome uh what she endured in indonesia to get to the united states and i'm proud of the culture that we have and the the food that we have and the uh different nuances that you won't find in 
in other cultures and in other countries. So yeah, that's why I think it's important for me to continue learning about my Indonesian American identity. But um, what do you think, Jason? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for like sharing your story all, through, all throughout this podcast. And um, yeah, I, I, for me, it's just um, as a history minor, I might be a little bit biased on like, you know, I can always just say like, yeah, it's important to know our history. It's important to know our culture. But I think in a deeper sense, we all kind of want to know where we come from and, you know, get to know ourselves uh, as we like grow older and want to know more about, you know, trying to find where we are in this like big, big world. Um, that's why we have like ancestry tests. I mean, I took one, 23 me and everything. Uh, maybe you shouldn't take one. I, I don't know uh, about that, but it's, it's really fascinating to, because there's so many people out there that want to know who they are. And so I think it's like number one important for us to know um, our culture in a sense of like that gives us a sense of identity and might give us a sense of purpose on like what we do and everything. Um, I didn't like being called like the Asian, the tri- or like being the trope of like that Asian friend and everything. You know, and there were a lot of like remarks that were um, inflammatory. There were a lot of like discriminatory remarks that happened because of that. Um, but at the sense, I was still proud of like being Asian, being different, being, you know, Indonesian and everything. Um, and number two, it's like, for me, as a lover of history and a lover of cultures, I think it's important to note that we just represent probably uh, a minute community that is within like Indonesia. I think Chinese Indonesians have like, are like less than 1%. There's so many different like cultures. So like the Batak culture, um, the, Jav- the Javanese, um, the Sundanese, there's so the pop one people who are also like a minute uh, percentage, but they're like 633 different ethnic groups. I remember this because I had to do a presentation. 633 different ethnic groups in Indonesia. But disproportionately, I feel like Chinese Indonesians represent a lot of that in, um, in America, it seems like from like the research. So um, to all the listeners who are, who are listening to us, uh, we thank you for like keeping on with um, listening to us. And also please share your resources. Please share your research. Um, let's work on trying to figure out the different Indonesian American communities and not just have like, you know, oh, the Chinese Indonesian, Dutch Indonesian, um, the Tunisian, it's like, there's different, way more different um, cu- cultures than just like the ones that we represent. So I myself am personally interested into finding out like, how are we all united and how are we all different as like part of the Indonesian American community? Um, so that's, that's like my, my main thing on like why it's important for us to continue to learn and to understand our Indonesian American identity. And it's also just like, I know it's fun. I think it's like, it's fun to know who you are. It's fun to have like that sense of security. Um, it, it's important again for a lot of us to have that. Um, it's fun in the sense that, you know, dang there's so many things that i could do knowing that i am this person and so you know again um that's why it's like we have to also just come to an understanding of like all the different aspects of like indonesia uh, like indonesian cultures the different indonesian ethnic groups so yeah that's uh those are my two cents my um as president of aia and as like history minor like two cents um, so yeah, and that, that's what I wanted to bring, that I wanted to bring, AIA is, is for people who are interested in Indonesian and in Indonesian American cultures. Um, we are a group that's going to keep on growing, hopefully. We are a group that is going to keep on learning and educating ourselves to realize that the world is beyond um, like just the people that we see in the group. My, my, my goal is to have 633 different presidents <laughs> of all the different like uh, ethnic backgrounds of Indonesia, if that is even possible. I mean, that's like the that's like I'll be long dead by then. <laughs> but you know, it's hopefully it, it, it would be real. still be alive by then. <laughs> hopefully, we're still alive by then. We're supposedly supposed to die in like ten years, but yeah, yeah. But like, not on wood that we don't die. But it's yeah. I think I think that'd be great to see. Um, I think that's like very much more encompassing and it amplifies the stories that we don't typically hear about.
Wow. Okay. Well, I didn't. I didn't know you had that big dream out there of like having six hundred thirty-three presidents. That would be really. Cool. Got, yeah. Yeah. Got to dream big. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna have to. We're, we're gonna have to continue AIA for a very long time. So, see that. Hopefully, hopefully, that is how we're accountable. The AIA thing, yeah. for the next thousands of years. Yes, for a million. Years. <laughs> AIA for yes. a million years. All yeah. right. So now we're at the end. Um, thank you, Jason, uh, for everything that you've talked about, and yeah, just being part of the podcast. Okay. Well, cool. So we will just end it off here. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast again, Jason. I have to, I have to tell you twice because I wrote it twice in my script. <laughs> and right. thank you, Dylan, as a great host. So thank you, thank you. as well. Good job for the first episode. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, it took a while to get OBS going, but it's all good. <laughs> all right, I hope you all have enjoyed listening to the AIA, the first episode of the AIA. And Ooh. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. See y'all. <laughs>